Welcome to the podcast version of Robots in Depth and this launch episode with David Rowlinson in cooperation with Vivolver. Robots in Depth is supported by Aptomica. Visit aptomica.com to connect. You will find all past episodes and more on robotsindepth.com. Welcome to Robots in Depth. Today I'm really happy to have a modular robotics company here and we have Dave Rollinson from Heavy Robotics and we're even going to see his robot a little bit later. Uh, but I want to start the way I always start. How did you get into robotics? Why did, why did you choose that field? Uh, so in, I guess in some ways it was a, a bit of an accident. So uh, when I was uh, in high school I liked tinkering mostly with mechanical things. Um, and I had just a ton of different interests. So when I went to college, uh, I think I was just interested in engineering because I like to build stuff. I chose mechanical engineering, I think in part because it's so broad. Uh, it's kind of a catch-all for anything that doesn't fit in kind of another field. Uh, and the school I got into was Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. So I started being exposed to robotics there. While there, I got into uh, some internships. And I got uh, really into robotics on a practical level. I work, interned and then later worked full-time at a company called Red Zone Robotics, and they made sewer inspection robots. So I got to get hands-on and use robots that were both cutting edge uh, and then just extremely, uh, extremely vital in terms of what they're doing, in terms of keeping infrastructure that nobody really thinks about. It's, it's really uh, addressing a need that on the robotics end is so cutting edge, but in where you're at with sewers is so simple and so fundamental um, that you realize that uh, you know, you're working on the next generation of tools to, to really just kind of keep bringing humanity forward. Mm. And also the fact that we've probably neglected, both because it's very hard and also it's very expensive, yeah. to maintain this infrastructure properly. So we have a big technical debt. It is. It's, it's actually failing on us. Yes. And, and we have no real plan on how to fix it fast enough. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a massive challenge um, for the United States. And it's actually a massive challenge to just try to start to learn from that. And in other places in the world where we're still trying to build that infrastructure, do it right. Mm. Yeah, because we really want to, to get it right uh, the first time there. Yeah. Um, so you got into robotics that way, did, and you studied for in at CMU. Mm -hmm. Hebby is a company that actually comes from Carnegie Mellon. Yeah, correct. So uh, Hebby Robotics came out of the lab that I kind of gravitated toward when I came back to CMU as a, as a master's and then PhD student. Mm. Uh, so I came from Red Zone Robotics. I had this uh, kind of practical mechanical ex uh, experience from making sewer robots. Very it, challenging environment. Those robots has to be tough as nails. Tough, right? as, tough as nails and really kind of a fascinating uh, lesson on the way people use tools too. Mm. So I, you, know, you spend weeks and weeks designing these parts. You view it as this robot. Then you take it out to the field and these guys just like abuse it because to them, and correctly so, it's just a tool. Mm. Um, mm. And you, you realize that you know, the way that you put things out in the world, they're going to get used in the way that other people see fit. And mm. so it's, it's a real lesson of uh, watching how things get used in the real world. And so part of it is, is the people, part of it's the situation. Um, and then the, the, the onus is on you as an engineer to just make, make it all work. Yeah, yeah um, it has to be real world uh, ready, not yeah. PhD ready, right? E exactly, exactly. They're not going right. to baby it. And, and it's also hard to exactly uh, estimate the world it's going to be in. So you have to over-design it. So. You, you over-design it, and you just have to plan ahead for getting out into the real world watching everything go wrong, and then iterate. Just mm. constantly be learning. Mm. Uh, mm. And the, the tool set that I needed 
uh, uh, went far beyond just the mechanical design. I needed to know more about the controls, more about the sensing, and and kind of the fast trends that are evolving there that I wanted to bring toward robotics. Mm. So I, I went toward the uh, the Snake Robot Lab with Professor Howie Chosett mm. at Carnegie Mellon, uh, in large part because they're one of the labs at CMU that made their own hardware. Mm. Um, so as a, as a mechanical designer, I knew that was something where I could continue to develop those tools. Mm. Uh, and as a focus, coming back into PhD, I really wanted, and Howie advised, that I really have a focus to target things. And so I said, Snake Robots, you know, in a lot of ways, I think pipes are a simple world to work in. They have a lot of challenges mm -hmm. from a uh, environmental standpoint, but in a lot of ways, you know, you can think of it as a, a one-dimensional world. You can only go forward or back, you know, mm -hmm. turn around. And so it, it simplifies a lot of the assumptions and makes a great starting point for thinking about how you control a complex robot. And they all they had worked on the snake module for a long time. I'm... Yeah. So the the snake robot project had already been going for over ten years, probably mm -hmm. close to. So 15. it's quite a mature project, right? It what is. number of iterations have they gone through? Is, uh, is that hard to specify? <laughs> it is. It is hard to specify. Well, so we have a whole bunch of them up on our wall. Um, and what's really interesting is it kind of started off with hobby servos, you know, being chained together, mm -hmm. and then eventually we were on, they developed enough to where we had a controller in the tail to control a set of sixteen servos. By the time I got to the lab in two thousand nine, they had really done an iteration. Uh, where they had started to distribute the control into each module. So mm -hmm. the focus had now started to go to more modularity, really just in the name of being able to maintain these things, mm -hmm. um, as in addition to being able to experiment with making robots shorter, longer. So for, for years and years, it was a mostly undergraduate project. And then every three months, every six months, they'd make a robot, mostly because they just get destroyed in mm -hmm. the process of using them. They just weren't very reliable. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I came, we were taking the step of moving from kind of hobby servo technology to uh, you know, getting, getting a, a better funded project where we could design a, a really solid module from the ground up. So metal housings, nicer Maxon motors, mm -hmm. really better performance. And instead of going to an iteration every three months, all of a sudden, that robot lasted about three and a half, four years. Yeah. And it's actually still being used today. Very big steps. Very we don't even know how long it's going to last because right. it's still used. Yeah, right? it's, still, it's, it's still cranking. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was that big step. And then uh, towards the, the, end of, the end of my research around 2000, in the middle of my research, really, in 2011 or so, mm -hmm. um, a DARPA project started up. And we did the next big iteration of a snake robot. Uh, with uh, moving to really the latest technology that's coming from the cell phone industry, so being able to put things like Ethernet, much higher powered processing, much many more embedded sensors into the module, um, and then as well as moving to uh, being able to do torque control, not just position control. Uh, very interesting, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen this uh, six-legged uh, spider yeah. thing that you've built with it, and it looks very competent and very robust, right? Yeah. This is a powerful machine, right? It is. It's a, it's a powerful uh, set of tools that lets us build the machine. So mm. Yeah. And I, I presume that when you've done the module, uh, doing the actual spider is a reasonably easy achievable task, right? Because so much is in the module. It is. It is. So basically what we're trying to do is kind of abstract an actuator down to the point where you're really thinking in terms of positions, Velocities and and forces or torques. Mm -hmm. So you know the math that we the way we think of modeling a robot. All the low level details kind of get get balled up, mm -hmm. and then you can just kind of work at a higher level. Mm, very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that robot? How strong is it? What kind of payload could you put on it? What kind of speeds can it achieve? Yeah. So the uh, yeah that that snake monster. We call it snake monster because uh, it uh, we we kind of had a vision. As, as snakes, we were like, hey, we could turn these into arms. And so people call it the spider robot. It looks mm -hmm. more like a spider. Mm -hmm. um, 
But in terms of the speeds, each joint has about four Newton meters continuous mm -hmm. torque, uh, peak to seven Newton meters that lets us build legs uh, in that configuration that could support about a three kilo payload. Per, per leg then? Uh, uh, for, uh, total. Total, total. yeah. So, um, and it, depend, it depends on the stance. Yeah. Um, but kind of from a practical move around, in terms of speed, it's about maybe a half meter per second mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. if you kind of go low and, and scooch forward. Yeah, yeah. That, that, um, really, the, the research both on the snake and in that robot is once you have it together, you can create some, some basic controllers, but it's really kind of exploiting the, the design space of how you make it move is kind of where the, the gains are to be made. Uh, and this is built with the research version of, of this uh, module you have then. But yeah. you also market that uh, also, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so it's available for, 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 for anyone that wants to work with a, a very high quality, small and compact module, right? That, that's exactly right. And mm -hmm. so. Uh, what we did is we, we started uh, the company two years ago um, to basically uh, take the, the modular technology from the snakes and start using that as a building block for other types of robots. And we started off with exactly uh, those snake modules. We brought them out. We said, we use these. We think they're great. Um, see if anybody else wants to do it. And we, you know, quite frankly, put it out there. And uh, we met, what, a year ago mm -hmm. at ICRA. And we were trying to sell those. And um, pretty much nobody bought them. But we got a lot of feedback saying, this is great, but it's not the right form factor for you know, my particular robot. Or it has uh, not enough torque, or not enough speed, or uh, I'd really like continuous rotation. And you have several other things. And we basically took all that and then did an iteration now um, where it's a much more general purpose building block all the things they did like in terms of being able to abstract out all those controls so that they can really think at a high level, play with the latest tools like mm. ROS and MATLAB mm. and all these other great software ecosystems that are out there. Mm. Kept mm. all that, but then made it into just kind of a, a nice fundamental building block. Took all the experience you've had from this uh, uh, snake module yes. then and also probably took a step away from the snake because that puts a lot of requirements on its size and, and design. Now you could think more freely and use all the experience you have and, and kind of take a new step, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly and right. that's also what you're marketing right now. Yes. That's uh, When I saw this one, I just I, you know I like modular robotics and I'm, uh, I love the ability to have kind of a smart Lego for adults, right? That's really robust. You can really big, build some yeah. stuff for this. Exactly. Right? It's, it's cliche, but Lego really is the inspiration, right? Because, yeah. I mean, what's great about them, I'm Legos, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, you know, as I dive off in the weeds here, but what's great, what's great about Legos is you look at them, you know how they go together. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. even, even like uh, you know, the youngest kid sees them and they, the first time you press them together, it's like, mm -hmm. boom, I get how it works. Yeah. And you make anything. Mm -hmm. You make uh, spaceships, you make cars, you make castles, and then your imagination fills in the rest and mm -hmm. it all just works. Yeah. And so the, the grown-up part of the Legos is, okay, that imagination part, we actually have to put something in there. And that's mm -hmm. where, where the, the massive amount of work that we put into the software comes in. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this unit is, is, is really solid, really strong. Right. You can really build some, some, some practical machines with this. And that's why I, I like it so much. And, and as you say, still abstracting a lot of the hard stuff uh, doing yeah. that. And we're going to see it later. We're going to have a look at it. And uh, you'll have to talk us through why you designed it like that and what trade-offs you did. Sure. Um, I love the modular robotic stuff. I want it out there on the market. When you've been, you, you mentioned that when you started to sell the first type of unit, it was a tough sell. Yes. With the new unit, do you see that people are getting the modularity power, the power of the modular yes. concept? Yes. No, people are getting the power of the modularity. Um, they're getting the fact that uh, 
you know, you can create anything out of these, you know, not just arms, not just legged robots. Um, you could have disembodied degrees of freedom all around a room and just kind of automate a room in pieces if you want. Mm -hmm. um, they're getting the fact that because it has, uh, you know, Ethernet connectivity, you have easy access to both controlling it and then logging all the, you know, the rich amounts of data. Mm -hmm. And now that, you know, machine learning is becoming much more of kind of a widespread tool that people apply. Um, people want just as much data as they can get. Have you heard anything about what people would like to build with when you talk to them? Uh, yeah, so I mean, we've heard uh, walking robots, humanoids, uh, some, some snake robot people still out there. Mm -hmm. uh, an interesting one today that terrified me at first mm -hmm. was uh, somebody who was looking to create a dentistry robot. Mm. And as I, yeah, and I was just, you know, whoo, you know mm. uh, worried about that. But it was actually more of to, to get a good position, you know, around somebody's face mm. uh, because I guess, you know, dentists have a lot of like neck strain from reaching ah. around as people go. So that, but, but again, it, it's one that embraces another part of it, not just the modularity, but the, the safety aspect, being able to control torque, mm. uh, not just position so mm. that as you interact with a very uncertain world, um, mm. you, evac you, you can be uh, in a very compliant way. Mm. So this is then co-robot safe, so to speak. Yep. Humans and robots built with this system could, could operate together rather than having the robot in a cage. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, so how do you see the future for the company? Where are you taking it? Uh, so basically we're trying to just accelerate the pace of robotics innovation. So mm -hmm. we want to be, uh, get these modules, keep them as robust as possible, get them in the tools of as many hands as possible, mm -hmm. and then branch out from kind of research R&D into some industrial applications. And we think there's a whole world out there where we kind of slip in between the giant kind of general purpose arms, mm -hmm. uh, which are becoming more and more capable, but, but still you know, very general purpose. Mm. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the world of fixed automation where if you're going to make, you know, a million of some widget, you can make kind of a very precise fixed machine for that. Kind of there's this whole space in between, both in the factory and I think even increasingly at home. Mm. But even the, 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 the very specialized machine doing paper clips and doing that for 100 years still benefits from modularity because when you want to replace something, you, you don't sit there with something special that's, nobody knows how to maintain. It's a, it's a module, right? right? It's the same everywhere, right? Right, right. and a, or a big part of it is instead of producing extremely high quantities in one place, mm -hmm. you can create you know, uh, smaller quantities in a much more distributed fashion. So that was very interesting. We're going to bring in the robot now, and you're going to have to walk us through the different aspects of it. Now we have actually the robot in front of us here. Yes. I hope you see it perfectly on the image. If you hold the robot around here, the, the, the single unit, okay. uh, we're going to see it. So this is the new unit then. This is, um, this is it. Yeah. And, and, and it has a different shape. It does. It does. Is there a reason for the different shape? The, the different shape is because it's designed for essentially everything except a snake robot. Ah, okay, um, which is the, probably the larger domain. The, lar anyway. the larger domain. Um, so the snake, the snake robot's a great, uh, like we, we like to say, forcing function mm -hmm. in terms of driving a lot of requirements mm -hmm. in terms of being compact in our motor control, mm -hmm. being very uh, high power to weight, so exploiting every last ounce of, of performance out of an electric motor, mm -hmm. um, making very uh, uh, unique designs for the way that you do your torque sensing inside a module. Uh, but then what it does is it, we did, what it then does is gives you a chance to then take a step back and say, okay, with those core ideas, how do they how do I repackage this into something that's uh, more affordable, more manufacturable, and then just kind of uh, much more versatile for the robotics community in general. So mm -hmm. the snake modules uh, that you saw last year uh, were basically 
uh, one degree of freedom. This is also one degree of freedom, mm -hmm. but it connected on the front and back with this custom interface to make things nice and sleek and sealed and uh, as lightweight as possible. A snake, um, basically. A right? snake, and mm -hmm. exactly, and then only plus or minus uh, 90 degrees of rotation. Mm -hmm. So uh, this keeps roughly the same, roughly the same uh, the size and and power class, mm -hmm. uh, but we have continuous rotation at the output. Uh, we've moved to using extruded aluminum and, and flatter machined parts to make the manufacturable more easy. Uh, we've moved to using standard connections, just uh, RJ45s and uh, Molex Minifit Junior for power. Mm -hmm. um, we've given uh, a lot of thought to just the flat form factor to keep things out of the way, big bolt pattern to mount it nice and securely, and then a, a through bore so that all the wires as you chain these things together can pass through the center of rotation. So you mm -hmm. can, uh, instead of having big service loops on the outside to limit your rotation, you can turn mm -hmm. You know, more than 360 degrees if you need. You can run pneumatic tubes through the middle if you need to put some sort of vacuum or, mm. or gripper on the front of an arm. Mm. Um, all sorts of things. Mm. Very cool. And I also think that this module is easier to produce, so it's quite a lot cheaper. It is. It's still, uh, you know, I'll admit not cheap. So mm. we're at $3,000 per degree of freedom right now. Uh, but it's uh, significantly easier to manufacture and less expensive than the snake modules before mm. that. And I also guess it's, it has advantages over the snake model, but it's the same strength and speed and... It's a little bit stronger, mm. um, and it's available in different torques and uh, speed profiles. So mm. uh, one of the things about the versatility of the design is we're using a spur gear train, and uh, on some of the stages we can change them out so that we can have a high torque, low speed module as well as a low speed, uh, high torque, low speed, as well as a low torque, high speed. Mm. Um, so you can choose the one you need. Huh? Right, so example, if you're putting together uh, a manipulator, you can use the torque gear modules at the shoulder, which mm. also don't need to move as fast, but mm. the wrist can be nice and dexterous. And you just hook it up to those two uh, Ethernet and power, and you're ready to go, right? Exactly right. So an idea we came from the, that came from the snakes, but implemented in a different way, was uh, we wanted to be able to daisy chain our communications. Mm. So you plug in the power, it's easier to, it's easier to split power outside of a module and your requirements on that differ by application but the 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 data connection just daisy chains on through as much as you want and just runs on a, a standard network hardware and to build the, the the solution we have in front of us here it's a, a robotic arm that's right uh, you just connect these together do you also manufacture and sell the brackets yes. and stuff like that yep. so people can connect these however they want but we do make these brackets that just bolt on to standard tubing mm. um, lets you mount them in any orientation you want any mm. length you want uh, and then, you know, part of the software tools we have lets you configure this uh, in a in a flexible way. What kind of applications have you used to test this on? Have you, I mean, have you got a pet application that you use as a test? Uh, we we have a couple. Um, we've made you know six degree of freedom arms to do like pipe assembly stuff like that. Um, this is driven by a potential industrial application. Uh, where we wanted to, to do some assisted assembly of, of screws. So mm. uh, because we're at the right scale and we're really interested in uh, kind of dog fooding our own developments mm. on a mechanical level, we're basically creating a demonstration where we can uh, assist in the assembly of the screws of our own modules because we mm. can cooperate at roughly that scale and precision. We've seen uh, where you demonstrate the assembly of, of one of these arms in about 25 minutes. Yeah. Most structures could probably built in a few hours or in a few days. That's correct. And of course, they could also be disassembled in a few days. Right. So you could have students come in, propose a project, build a prototype, test it, realize that oh, I probably have to go back to the math, disassemble the robot, somebody else comes in and uses the hardware, while this student is away 
working on the code, yeah. comes in, reserves time like we did on the old mainframe, uh, reserves time, gets to build the second version of the robot, learns even more, and this at a speed with a threshold to entry and a speed that is unheard of before with any other system. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. Do you have any examples of stuff like that within your lab and with your with your customers? Absolutely. So in our lab, you know, the the modules that were developed for the snake and both these, um, they're being used to just make other robots, just kind of as a fun experiment. We've had cases where people come in, take modules that were meant for the snake robot, build a biped, test balancing, take them back apart, put them right back on the shelf. That mm. all happens in the space of a day. Like yeah, you said, that's you're not amazing. you're not starting from scratch. Mm. Um, you know what we really want is. If you go to most uh, research universities, including ourselves, you can go into some sort of basement and you'll see a pile of robots that mm. will no longer be used. And you that's know, just a pile of money that, wasting, right? right? Right. So we really want to be able to make these go you know, back to the shelf mm. right, as opposed to, to the basement. Yeah. And also, the, the, the fact that students could work together. I create my group of modules doing a leg, for instance. Yes. And then somebody else does an arm. Yes. And somebody else does a waist. And suddenly, you have an ant. Exactly. It gets right back to that community thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, you, want, you want to get people working together on different projects, same projects, different projects that, through a wonderful accident, becomes mm. the same project. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's sort very of nice. Very yeah. nice. Thank you very much for taking the time to do an interview. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm just, I know that this is the foundation for a new world. No, this has been fantastic. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you very much. I hope you liked this episode of the podcast version of Robots in Depth. This episode is produced together with Vvolver. Vvolver is a platform and community providing engineers informative content that help them innovate. It's how engineers stay cutting edge. Optimica is the founding sponsor for Robots in Depth. Optimica rents anything in modular robotics. Dream, rent, build. Visit optimica.com to connect. I'm your host, Pasha Boy. Until the next episode, thank you for listening.